Well, good morning, you guys. <clears throat> Welcome to Isaiah. <laughs> and um, I realized that when I, after I sent out the uh, notification of what I was going to do this week, as I dug more into it, it's like, wow, this is a lot. So it's going to take a little bit of time to go through all this today. I pray all of you guys are doing well. Um, we've, we've had a little bit of a break in the weather. I can sometimes see the mountains. Other times it's still like just gray. This morning was pretty bad. Uh, I'm asking all of you to keep Ann Valinga in your prayers. Um, you're familiar that she took a tumble and off of a, one of her animals and broke three ribs and she's actually having hip surgery later today. Um, there, when we hear anything about it, we'll let you guys know. Um, yeah, and uh, because of COVID, um, her son isn't even allowed to go visit her while she's in the hospital, which is no fun at all. Um, I'm sure many of you have already watched I Still Believe, which is the movie about Jeremy Camp's life. Um, I recommend that. Um, you're going to need a box of tissues. I needed a box of tissues. Um, in the movie, Gary Sinise, who plays Jeremy's father, makes a statement, and it's a paraphrase, actually, of something that's in our message today. And um, Gary Sinise says to his son, my life is not blessed despite my difficulties. My life is blessed because of my difficulties. And I thought that was really incredibly profound, that he understood that. And um, afterwards, my wife made a comment that Gary Sinise needs to have his own movie production company. And I, I would support that. Let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God of light, we want to hear your message. Proclaimed of old that in you there is no dark cloud at all. Nothing exists that can hide in the light of your presence. Forgive us, Lord, when we cling to the shadows, to our failings. We do not heed your call to wake up and join the work of your reign. Send us to do your deeds of mercy and peace, to feed the hungry, to shelter the homeless, Touch the sick with your healing balm. Console the sorrowing to visit the prisoners and welcome the stranger. Guide us in this time of shadows. Keep us from despair in our hearts when we see that there is no peace in our cities, no security in our places of higher learning. Lift our eyes toward you that we may see your face shining on us and walk in your light. Comfort us with your presence and those who are living in the shadows of a grief, shattered by the loss of children, of parents, spouses, friends, colleagues. Give assurance to all who are missing loved ones that the living and the dead are in your care, certain of being joined again and unbroken, that will sing your praise forever. In Jesus' name we ask. 
So I read a lot about the prophet Isaiah this week. This guy, absolutely amazing, amazing life. He was a prophet from about 740 B.C. to perhaps as late as 686 B.C. We can reasonably reconstruct what happened historically in that time period. Those are, there's a gap in Isaiah of about 15 years where Isaiah either wasn't prophesying or he didn't write it down. We, we don't have that piece. And Isaiah went through five different kings of Judah. In John 12, verses 37 to 41, John 12, 37 to 41, I'm going to read you this passage. This is what John had to say about the prophet Isaiah. Though he had done so many signs before them, still they did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And John says, therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Then John says something absolutely profound about Isaiah. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. And when John says that, he's talking about Jesus. John says that Isaiah saw Jesus. As Bill mentioned last week, Isaiah was a prophet under Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. He also probably was a prophet right under Manasseh, right at the very end. Um, I went not, and looked up all of these guys. Um, Uzziah, I remember, was, the, the, pro, was the, the king who actually did the job of the priests and ended up becoming a leper. And so he could no longer be king. So he was set aside, even though he was still alive, and his son, Jotham, took over. Oh, excuse me, Ahaz took over. And he was an evil king, it's recorded. His son, Hezekiah, was righteous before God, became king. And under Hezekiah, in 722 B.C., Israel was invaded by, Sir by the Assyrians, and Samaria was led away in exile to never return. In 701 B.C., Judah was invaded and Jerusalem was under siege by the Assyrians. So both of these things happened under Hezekiah while Isaiah was prophet. And then Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, they think that he ruled about the same time as his father. His father was stepping back. And he had a very long reign, and unfortunately, he was a very evil king. And of course, once you start digging in, you can't stop. And so I did all the other kings that went all the way up to the fall of Jerusalem. And there's all this, one is subjugated, one of the kings is subjugated by Egypt, and another one flip-flops between Babylon and Egypt. And eventually, they get overrun by Babylon. 
There's a series of passages in 2 Kings 18 and 19. I'm going to read a few of them. So 2 Kings 18.1. 2 Kings 18.1. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So Hezekiah is beginning to reign at this time. Then you jump down a little bit further. 2 Kings 18, 10 to 13. 2 Kings 18, 10 to, thir- 18, 10 to 13. And at the end of three years he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Syria, put them in Helah and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the city of, cities of the Medes. Because they did not obey the voice of the God, their Lord, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened nor obeyed. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judea and took them. And so in light of all this, Hezekiah takes all the silver from the temple of the Lord, and he strips the doorposts of the temple of the gold and gives that to the Assyrians and pleads with them to go away. Hezekiah returns to the temple, his robe torn in grief, and Hezekiah prays before God for deliverance. And the prophet Isaiah goes to visit Hezekiah. 2 Kings 19, 32 to 34. This is what Isaiah tells Hezekiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And then finally, 2 Kings 19, 35 to 36. The army of the Assyrians is at the door of Jerusalem. 2 Kings 19, 35 to 36. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And the king of Assyria goes home and his sons murder him to take his power away from him. This passage in Isaiah begins with Isaiah pronouncing judgment against Israel because of their unfaithfulness to God. And we're going to go through most of that today. So today's message is not a very uplifting one, except for a couple of places. And, and you'll notice there's a a point where you're immediately going to get it. So Isaiah 1, 
starting with verse 2, verses 2 and 3. The wickedness of Judah. Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah delivers God's message as he decries the rebellion of Israel. God protects them, and yet they forsake him. Isaiah points out that Israel has done this before heaven for all to see, that they have broken their covenant with God. And there is no mistaking the message, that this message is from I am, the Lord himself. Their rebellion is a willful transgression against God, and Israel has chosen to do it. In verse 4, Isaiah continues, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. The emphatic use of the word ah could also be translated as woe. It is meant to call attention to the deceit and the lies of the people of Israel. The people have forsaken I am. Isaiah has used the special title of God, the Holy One of Israel, which is the great and set apart from all others who is the protector of Israel. Isaiah is laying it on very heavy for the people of Judea. Isaiah continues, verses 5 and 6. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Even from the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Even as Isaiah delivers further instruction here, only more hardness of heart develops. You continue to rebel. But it's fascinating, the description of the wounds here. And and it immediately hit me as I was reading it the very first time. He's talking about the head the heart and the foot, and the bruises and sores and raw wounds. It's almost as though he's talking about the head that wore a crown of thorns, the heart that was pierced with a spear, and the foot that was pierced with a nail. My reaction was immediately the question, is this the first prophecy of Christ in the prophet Isaiah's writings? Verses 7 and 8. God pronounces judgment from the words of Isaiah. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire in your very presence. Foreigners devour your land. It is desolate. 
as overthrown by foreigners, and the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Here in verses 7 and 8, the country is devastated by war and the invaders. And the daughter of Zion is an often used metaphor for Jerusalem. The pointing out of the booth, the booth is used by the workers out in the fields for the harvest. In Isaiah 4.6, Isaiah 4.6 says, There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. And this will be taken away from Israel as well, that there is no comfort. In verse 9, Isaiah says, If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. The Lord of Hosts is a title used for God as he leads his warriors out into battle. Isaiah is pointing out that God has intentionally left a few survivors. Over 700 years later, the Apostle Paul would explain this passage to the Romans. In Romans 9, 27 to 32. Romans 9, 27 to 32. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Paul continues on, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel who pursued a law because they would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Paul is trying to explain to the Romans where the Jews went wrong and why they were misled. Because they believed they could achieve salvation by faith, by their works, sorry, by their works, and not by faith. Isaiah 1, verses 10 and 11. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, said the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. This is an often referenced verse. Isaiah is calling out to those who will hear, from the high to the low, the rulers to the people, Of what use are sacrifices if your heart is not contrite before God? Salvation and favor from God cannot be bought. It is not an act of sacrifice that brings redemption. 
God is pointing this out, this disparity. In verses 12 and 13, when you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Calling on God while continuing to sin against God is an insult. It's insulting to God. He knows that your heart is not in it. The trampling in and out every week of offerings in God's temple was a travesty to him. God does not want more offerings, and their incense that they would burn before him is an abomination. Verses 14 and 15. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. There was a special observance for the new moon. The calendar was driven by the new moon each month. If the moon were just missed in visibility because of its proximity to the sun, the calendar was delayed a day. The previous month would have a day added to it. Calendars were not aligned by the days, but by the moon, and hence their name, months. The word month comes from the word moon. When the hands of unclean hearts are spread out before God, God looks away and hides his face. God will not hear the prayers of those people. Those hands are covered in blood. Verses 16 and 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. And plead the widow's cause. Isaiah is exhorting us to cleanse ourselves, to present ourselves clean before God. We need to seek God's justice. We need to stop evil before God. And included in that list is the easing of the suffering of the fatherless and for women who do not have families. Isaiah, you, you've already caught this. Isaiah is not saying this just to the Israelites. This is a metaphor for us, for our own rebellion against God, for the way we have neglected our own duties Verses 18 and 19. Listen to this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the, Lord, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is one of those but God moments. Come now, let us reason. God is explaining that our salvation is coming to us and is being explained by Isaiah. 
Even though our souls are stained red with the blood of our sins before God, the Father will see us as white as snow. And this is the same expression. happens over and over and over, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. White as snow. And I'm thinking to myself, Judea, the mountains are only 2,000 feet high in Judea. And this is a desert climate. These people have never seen snow. How do they know that snow is white? It, but it's an expression that happens over and over and over again. I remember my dad using the expression all the time that I didn't have any horse sense. I had no idea what a horse was. I, I knew what pictures of horses looked like, right? We had those. I never actually met a horse for a long, long time. I had no idea whether horses were smart or dumb. Turns out horses are not too bright. And apparently I didn't have that even that much because my, that's what my dad would tell me. How do these people know what snow is? You know, the, is this, you know, the old timers are using an old expression and the kids are going, they roll their eyes every time when we're not looking, right? My kids still do this, only they do it to my face now. This is an old expression. Sheep appear to be pure white. Their wool is very radiant until you see sheep in a snowy field. And suddenly you realize how brown the sheep are compared to the whiteness of the snow. But they must have known the expression, and they knew that white was never white enough. Perhaps the rarity of snow and the white that they had never seen could be an indication to them of the purity and the rarity that was required. If the people are willing and obedient to God, God will save them. But if they continue to rebel against God, they will be condemned. Verse 21, the unfaithful city. How the faithful city has become the harlot. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Godliness is demonstrated by perseverance, consistency, and continual attention to conforming to the will of God. This is the sign of being faithful. Isaiah pronounces that God shall preserve a remnant of God's people for himself to be redeemed. This remnant shall constitute the new faithful city because God is always faithful. The condemnation of the unfaithful city is for the idolaters who had forsaken God to worship idols and false gods. Justice was upright, and just relations amongst the people were required. Righteousness was the practice of those who followed after God and his will. The people rejected God and chose to engage in murder, rebellion, theft, and bribery. True justice defends the orphan and the widow and does not reward the paying of bribes. Enemies of justice will engage in legal conflation to directly engage in misbehavior. They will actually pass laws that make the wrong thing the right thing to do. 
we know that God will restore order and the law with righteousness. Verses 22 and 23. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. The very symbols of wealth and comfort, silver and wine, will be worthless. They'll be worth nothing. Princes consort with the lawless and resort to thievery. Bribes and gifts are sought by everyone. Each looks after only their own gain. And they fail in their God-given duty to bring justice by caring for orphans and widows. Bribery is condemned over and over in the Old Testament. Isaiah 5, 22 to 23. Isaiah 5, 22 to 23. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking, at wa- drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty of a bribe and deprive the innocent of their right. Exodus 23.8. Exodus 23.8. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. Deuteronomy 16.19. Deuteronomy 16.19. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God has given you. Bribery is always condemned. Verses 24 and 25. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. The three titles of God, the Lord, I am of hosts, and the mighty one of Israel here are used. This is to make it clear to all who hear that this is the God Almighty, creator of the universe, that all that exists and ever shall exist, and he alone makes this declaration. The word ah can also be translated as woe. God shall overcome all his enemies, and God shall remove the dross as a smelter. Verses 26 and 27. And I will restore your judges as at first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. And here is the, one of those but God moments. God shall restore the judges and counselors as at the beginning. And afterwards, the city shall be called righteous and faithful. The city shall be redeemed 
by the justice of God, and those who repent shall be righteous. It's a vision of the future church and the new Jerusalem. This verse gets quoted over and over. Revelations 21, 2 to 4. Revelations 21, 2 to 4. The Apostle John again. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the new Jerusalem. Verse 28 and 29. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you had chosen. The rebellious and those who seek the darkness, God shall break them together. Those who forsake God will ultimately be consumed. The reference here to the oaks and the gardens, those were the places where the false gods and the idols were worshipped. And this is why they are condemned. The unfaithfulness of those people shall be exposed. And finally, the closing of this passage, verses 30 and 31. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, like a garden without water, and the strong shall become tinder, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Those who practice pagan worship shall be like the oak whose leaf withers, like a garden without water. And those who think themselves great and strong shall be like tinder, and the fruits of their labor shall be a spark. And we all know what that looks like, the ferocity of the firestorm. So what is our takeaway here? Is this simply a story? It was so long ago that it doesn't affect us? It does affect us, because this story is actually about us. We are the ones who walked away from God. And it was Jesus who was sent to call us back. We've had our rebellion against God, and our sin and our unfaithfulness. And we are unworthy of any kindness from God. But God full of loving kindness, sends Jesus to cover our sins to make us white as snow. And Jesus takes that penalty, which belongs solely to each of us. And Jesus takes it upon himself and himself alone. And he walks up on Calvary and he dies there. 
And because of Jesus, we get to spend eternity with God. God the Father, with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, singing praise and honor and glory before them forever. Isaiah is calling us out. Isaiah is pointing at us, pointing us towards the Christian life. Isaiah wants us to change the way we handle the difficulties in the world. Isaiah wants us to be more Christ-like. We become more Christ-like by thinking about these pieces that Isaiah is giving us. By doing this, we emulate Jesus. God loves us, yet we slip and fail. God knows we are not there yet. And again and again, we need to be on our knees before Jesus, asking him to forgive us yet again, relying on God, relying on God's mercy and his love for us, the love that is beyond our comprehension or understanding. God has chosen us. Jesus purchased us for redemption. If you've not believed in Jesus and you want this free gift of God, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your Savior. Do not wait. Jesus has paid the price. All of you know the stories I've talked about, about great scientists who discover the way the universe works, galaxies and trillions of stars, of violent explosions that create the heavy metals, and of ancient and unimaginably immense black holes colliding. And I think how great God must be to have created all of this with just the breath of his voice. He knows my name. He knew my name long before any of this came to be. He knew I would come to him on my knees because I needed Jesus that God with the tattoo on his thigh. He knows my name and he knows yours too. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, our God and Savior, we thank you for this day. How excellent and majestic and awesome you are. How great is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When we consider your greatness in the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of us? Lord, how excellent is your name. Father, I pray in these few moments together you will help all of us to focus on how great you are and that we would see you in a fresh and new and wonderful way that will cause us to stop doubting, to stop being confused about what the answer is to our problems. It is so frequent in our lives that we seek every possible solution except you. May you become the living, personal, and vital friend Give us that relationship to every single believer here. And may those who are not believers long to know 
the God who is great, as Isaiah wrote. May we see that we need to trust Jesus, to worship him, to honor him, and to consider him in all our ways. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing. In the name of your Son, the name of Jesus, amen.